All right, well, good morning, everybody. So I have a few people trickling in, but we'll go ahead and get started this morning. <clears throat> Appreciate Brother Chad covering for me last week. Our family's been out of commission for uh, a week or so, but... Uh, we're coming out of the hole and feeling better today, so appreciate y'all bearing, bearing with us. <clears throat> Good to see some familiar faces we haven't seen in a while. This morning we're going to continue in our study of Proverbs, and um, just for sake of keeping up with, with the train of thought that I was in and the flow that I've kind of had going this quarter, uh, I'm going to back up to where I had left off. Uh, week before last, which was in chapter 6, verse 20. Um, I know y'all talked about chapter 7 last week, so I'm not doing this to um, be too redundant or too repetitive, but um, <clears throat> there's an awful lot here. And chapter 7 in particular, uh, there's, there's a lot to consider. And um, as far as just the nature of temptation and the nature of sin itself, there's a lot that we could glean from this chapter. So, backing up to chapter 6, and if you remember that first half of chapter 6, we talked about the three types of folly that are warned against. We have financial folly with the folly of suretyship, putting up security for your neighbor. We talked about considering the ant. So, a warning against laziness. And then we talked about the, the wicked, worthless man who sows discontent and discord among the brothers. And that the inverse of that, we are called to instead unite the brothers, according to Ephesians chapter 4. And then chapter 6 and verse 20, we see something that we have seen time and again be repeated. The father says, my son... Keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Why would, we've talked about this a little bit before, but why would a child not listen to his mother or father's advice? What's, what's the issue there? Why do young people not want to take advice? <laughs> they know everything. Um, any other reasons that kind of piggybacks on that? Oh, I'm just going to say, it's not very much fun sometimes. Not very much fun? Well, I'm talking about younger kids. Right. Now, you know, Feel like they're going to miss out right. on something? Curiosity. Curiosity? Rebellion. Rebellion. So there's, there's a trust issue. And the, the young person doesn't seem to be able to trust that mom and dad know as much as they do or maybe they feel that they could do things differently or they could handle things in life differently or better perhaps than mom and dad have experienced in their lives and that that's a real problem and that's such a powerful picture of our relationship with God and in order to obey we have to trust and see in verse 21 bind them on your heart Always tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. 
Does that remind you of any other passages in Scripture? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, repeated in Deuteronomy 11. Um, What would it take for the Son or anyone, ourselves, to get to the point to where this is on our minds so that up to the point that we lay down at night and when we wake up, we're thinking about it. Uh, the Word of God, that is. What, what does that take? What does binding them on your heart and tying them around your neck, what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Not only know it, you live it. Excuse me? Not only know it, you live it. You're living it. It's on your mind, it's on your heart. This is a saturation. And this theme is going to continue, and we talked about it a little bit week before last with considering the ant, but the Bible teaches that our lives, our spiritual lives, and our relationship with God is completely saturating of every, it touches every aspect of our lives. And we can see it, we can learn about God from considering nature, we can learn about God When we walk by the way, we've got to be observant, though, and we've got to have it on our minds and on our hearts. And mentioning Deuteronomy chapter 6, we might come back to Deuteronomy 6 later on, but we see that to get to the point to where when we walk, the the Word of God is leading us. When we lie down, when we wake up, they're talking with us. To get there, we cannot look at the commandments of God. We cannot look at the Word of God as when we come to the church building on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. And in fact, this idea of secular or secular, secularism, um, that's a misnomer. Um, there is no such thing as the word secular in the Bible. That is a horrible concept for us to, uh, to even think about. Because in ancient Israel and all through Scripture, the opposite is taught. That every day, every second, in all that we do, God is there. And there's something to learn, there's something to consider, and there are opportunities to teach others along the way. So meditating, ruminating on the Word of God, being saturated. And there's a promise that when we wake, they will talk with you. That these principles of the, that the father and mother are trying to teach the son, they are guiding and leading us on the path of wisdom. Verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Again, we see this contrast between light and darkness. We've seen it time and again, a few times already in the first few chapters of Proverbs, that the commandment of the Lord is, and the wise person is ever increasing in, in light until full day. 
becoming wiser as the time passes, teaching as a light. Fools, on the other hand, to contrast, are continually walking down a darker and darker path and they don't know what they're stumbling over. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Why do you think that the adulterous woman and adultery in general is getting brought up so often in this book? And we're not even to chapter 7 yet for this morning, but already in chapter 2, 3, 4, 6, adultery is mentioned and brought up. And then chapter 5 and chapter 7 are completely dedicated to it. Why is adultery brought up so much? What's that? It's a huge problem. It's a big problem. Why is it such a big problem? When you look at it from the aspect of wisdom, living with the grain of creation, as we talked about the week before last, why is adultery so particularly bad? Yes, sir. You know, a lot of times God uses adultery to talk about a relationship with Him. And I think that at the core of it, we should have the commitment to Him and show that commitment through the rest of our lives. And it's such a, I guess, a personal thing to Him when we don't have that commitment, especially when it comes to marriage, because He's given that as a picture relationship with Him. And so it's, it's just a really deep personal thing for him, the relationship He wants with us. Absolutely. That's a great point, Evan. Um, and, and obviously, with Proverbs, there are deep meanings to this. It isn't just at the surface of a husband not cheating on his wife. That's obviously a teaching here, but there are deeper, richer meanings to this. Um, but if you remember the father and mother teaching the son, and they're teaching him to attain wisdom, the value of wisdom, because they want what's best for the child in their lives, and they want the son to make decisions on his own that are protective, and wisdom is protective in nature. Not only to protect us from physical harm, but but to protect us uh, inwardly. So if you think about adultery, Adultery is a a particularly destructive thing. You know, James chapter 2, we see that if you break one point of the law, you break the whole law. But however, Paul says that there are two sins to flee from, adultery and idolatry. But if you put these side by side and you look in the context of a father talking to the son about the protective nature of wisdom... Adultery is especially destructive. Um, All sin is bad, but it seems that adultery, not only will it ruin your life financially, it's going to ruin your relationships, it's going to ruin your children's relationships, it's ripping this fabric of this divine order that the Lord has woven this universe together with, if that makes sense. Um, So it's particularly destructive. So we see it time and again repeated. Can you think of any other reasons why adultery keeps getting brought up here? 
history of what adultery did to his parents. Absolutely. Yeah, so just looking at Solomon as, as writing this and his own personal experience. Um, and maybe just because the temptation is so great and the temptation is so powerful, uh, and especially for a younger person and especially with Proverbs being geared towards a younger male audience. Um, however, it is absolutely the same for, for a man or a woman. Uh, but the temptation is so great and adultery is uh, especially destructive. And the goal of wisdom and attaining wisdom is to protect us in our lives and to help us truly live. And in order to do that, we're to stay away from the, the adulterous woman. <clears throat> Verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Verse 25, where does the problem begin? On the road to adultery, where does it, where does it start? Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And in the Bible, heart and mind are basically interchangeable. So the idea there is don't be careful to protect your heart. We've seen that already in chapter 4. Um, keep your heart with all vigilance. And that's the idea here. Be careful of what you're thinking about. And don't desire her beauty in your heart. Don't let her capture you. What should we let capture us? The Word of God. Um, the value that we place on wisdom, lady wisdom, and also our own wives or our own spouse. If you think back to chapter 5, we should be enraptured with our spouse. And that anything that, any desire that we have or need or feel that we need can and should be found at home and with our own spouse. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. The price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. So, some commentaries I'd read thought that this was two different women, a prostitute and a married woman. Some say they're the same. But at any rate, if we're talking about the adulterous woman, the married woman is a, this is talking about a woman who is promiscuous and she is looking to commit adultery and she is actually hunting uh, for someone to commit this act with her. That's the picture that's given. And it may seem that the cost is so little, a loaf of bread, but what does it actually cost us? Our life. Yeah, our, it actually cost us our lives. So a strong warning. Can a man carry fire next to his chest or his clothes and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. So what's the message in verse 27 to 29? That's a great point. Um, and we're going to see this, that, that thought repeated in chapter 7 that don't think that you're different. Don't think that you can handle this because of arrogancy or your lack of trust. Again, going to that, that younger person mentality. Um, just hear these words of wisdom and know that you are not strong enough to carry fire next to your chest. You are going to get burned. Um, so a powerful lesson there. And is this any different with other sin. You know, if you look at our temptation to, for, to alcohol or drugs or whatever your temptation may be, maybe we think, well, I, you know, I could kind of dabble in that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty strong-willed. I'm not going to get, get off the rails too much with this or that, but um, a powerful warning there that don't even, don't think about it. Just instead, as uh, the sister said, Maybe the, the better path, the path of wisdom, would be the best offense is a good defense, or the best defense is a good offense, rather, in this case. Um, so, again, binding the Word of God on your heart, tie it around your neck, think on these things, meditate on these things, and the temptation won't be nearly as great. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. Uh, remember back in chapter 5, verse 21, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So there is there's so much secrecy in sin and so much secrecy in adultery in particular, but God sees all, and no one is going to go unpunished. And even if the Lord does forgive us in our lives, and he forgives our sin, there are natural earthly consequences that we will suffer because of this sin. And we will be burned. We will be scarred, regardless of how the Lord forgives us or not. We're not going to go unpunished. In verse 30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. 
For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. So what does it say about the, the thief who steals? Yes, sir. To me, it says... That's a, that's a great point. Um, so the thief who steals, well, you can maybe rationalize that, not justify it, but it's like, well, he, he needed to, to eat or whatever it was, so he stole. Well, it's not good, and he's going to pay for it. But he may give up all the goods of his house, but that's all. Once he's done that, well, he's forgiven, and uh, most people will probably just forget about it over time. And the consequences of, of stealing in this example are nothing compared to the consequence of adultery. Because the consequence of adultery is all of these things that Brother Allen had mentioned. It's dishonor and disgrace that will not ever go away. And we saw that back in chapter 5. You will lose any power of influence you had on anybody. If you think back to King David... And still to this day, King David's been dead for however many thousand years. But yet, if you say David and, oh, it's Bathsheba. You never, people never forget when you commit this sin. And that's just the way it is. And even if the Lord forgave David, we still, we still think about it and still learn from, from that lesson and try to avoid that mistake. So... Powerful, uh, powerful things here. Adultery is uh, bad stuff, and we're, gonna, and we're just getting into it. So chapter 7, um, and I, again, sorry for those of you who were in here last week. I'm not trying to just repeat this just for repeating sake, but there is uh, a lot here, and there are a lot of little nuances to this. So if y'all don't mind, we'll just go through this um, again. Um, chapter 7 starts off again. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What does it mean to keep your teaching is the apple of your eye. And I'd look this up because um, so I didn't know what apple of your eye actually meant. So I don't, is there anybody here who's looked at that before? Um, I'll just go ahead and tell you. It's not like y'all were reading my mind. But um, to keep something as the apple of your eye, if you think about your, the apple of your eye is your pupil, which is the black middle hole of your eye and if you look closely you can see a reflection and and actually in the Hebrew the this phrase apple of your eye meant the little man in your eye 
Because when you're looking at somebody, you can see yourself in their pupils, and that's what the idea was. So in order for you to see something in your, uh, your pupil, it's, it's what you're concentrated on, it's what you're fixated on, and it's close. You can't see yourself in a reflection in somebody's eyes. I did this with uh, Abby and the kids last night. I was trying to see how close or how far away you could be and see yourself in their pupils, and it's, a, it's an intimate thing. You've got to get pretty close to see yourself in someone's eyes. So keep it nearby, keep it fixed in your eyes. Concentrate on these things. Bind them on your fingers. So it's whatever you do, it's always with you. You think of a wedding ring. It's always there. It never goes away. And every time you see it, you're reminded. And write them on the tablet of your heart. And again, hearkening back to that idea of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. Repetition. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when, when Moses and God through Moses said, Hear now, O Israel. And that word hear meant listen up because you haven't been paying attention. That was the idea that that word hear carried. So hear now, O Israel. And when Moses talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, um, and to teach these things to your children when you wake up, when you lie down. Um, I'm actually going to turn there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And what does that look like? Well, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So in your private life, in your public life, when you lie down, when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So again, the saturation, this complete wholehearted committed commitment to the Lord is what is, is preached here by Moses. And this is what our commitment to God should be. And there is no part of our lives that isn't affected by this commitment to God. And if we think that there is any second of our week or any hour or any act that we do that the Lord doesn't see or that is dependent or independent from the Word of God, then we don't understand the nature of God and, and the fact that He is our Creator. And in the Hebrew, when Moses says that you shall teach them diligently to your children, that word teach meant repeat. So repetition. And man, are we seeing that in Proverbs. These same things over and again. It's like, did you not just say that? Well, how do you learn things? Well, they're repeated. So repetition. He's trying to engrave this on the hearts 
of his sons and on his son here. Uh, just as Moses talked about in Deuteronomy, well, how do you engrave the word of God on your hearts? Well, you repeat it, and you repeat it to your children. That's how you, that's the act of engraving is repetition, repeating the words of God. And again, the counter and the contrast to keep you from her words. The path of wisdom, the path of, path of folly, they both start with words. Words are so powerful, and that's a big theme in Proverbs that we've seen thus far. Solomon says in verse 6, For at the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening at the time of night and darkness. What? has this young man already done? Or what, what, where's he already messed up here in verses 6 through 9? Does he already know who this woman is? Apparently, he knows where she lives. So he's thought about it. That was the first mistake. He's desired it, so much so that he's passing along the street near her corner. And remember, the path of wisdom we've seen is to not take the first step, to not go near the door of her house. So he is. He's getting near the door of, his, of her house, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening of the time of night and darkness. So the secrecy, thinking that no one will see, no one will know. And the simple, again, is someone who is very vulnerable. A simple person is someone who doesn't yet have their mind made up one way or another. They are incredibly vulnerable to anything. So this young man is maybe not looking for trouble maybe he is but he's not not looking for trouble either again the best defense is a good offense and don't don't go near the door of her house yes ma'am We've got to make our minds up. And that's a commitment we should make one time and, and kind of set it and forget it. Um, behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. Well, what have we learned to the opposite of this, to the contrast of this, about Lady Wisdom? Where is she? Back to chapter 1. Well, she's at every corner, too. She's at the public gate. She's crying aloud. She, wisdom is seeking out this young man also. 
So be careful to which woman you're looking for. Okay? And she says to him, or she seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. What does that tell you about this woman's character? And just about this woman in general, what can we deduct from, from her to verse 14? Is she an Israelite? Is she in the worshiping assembly of God's people? Would appear so. What about I had to offer sacrifices? What does that tell you about how she feels about worshiping God? So she's saying that she has, she is pure at this point. I've offered sacrifices and I've paid my vows, so I'm I'm good. And I also go to church. So, you know, there's a religious justification, and maybe the young man is even more tempted because she she's not some absolutely foreign woman. This is someone that, hey, she's she's a child of God. But yet, it's a deception, obviously. I had to offer sacrifices. Um, and as Miss Teresa said, I had to maybe because of her sin, absolutely, but she didn't want to offer sacrifices. She did it because she had to. So where's her heart? So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I found you. So with a young man, yes, sir, go ahead. She follows all the rules, but not the intent. Absolutely. And that's the problem. We have the same problem today. Yes, sir. Great point. Uh, a challenge and a warning there to us. Where is our hearts? Do we come to the church building and say, yeah, you know, I had to do that? Or do we want to offer our lives and our time and our energy into the, the Lord's cause? What does verse 15 say about this a younger person uh, when she says, I've come out to meet you. She's been seeking you. What does this do to a, a young man's ego? You have something. That's what I was going to say. Okay, okay, good deal. Um, yeah, so she is appealing to the pride of a young man. And again, this uh, pride and arrogance really go hand in hand uh, in life, so it seems. And she tells him, well, to back up, verse 15, is she really looking for him? Is it him alone? Yes, ma'am. Wisdom being everywhere, but that we have to search for it. So we have 
have to seek it out and we have to receive it and have to be willing to confess it. Um, in the verse 15, it says, I have come out to meet you. Even though it's not like seeking you, you have to seek it at the darkness of being. Yeah. No, the, the nature of wisdom is she, it is everywhere to be found, but you have to seek wisdom. And we've seen that that actually takes a great deal of effort. Um, and on the other hand, the adulterous woman is everywhere too. Folly is everywhere, but, but where, what's this young man doing? Well, he's seeking out her. He seems to be trying pretty hard to find her. He's passing along the road near a street and making sure he's going at night. So he is, he's walking down the wrong path and we're going to see exactly what that looks like here in, in a couple of verses but she's not seeking this young man i mean she is but she isn't she tells him i've come out to meet you and i've, I've sought you she doesn't care about this young man it's just she has a husband at home she doesn't care about him either and after this act with this young man she's going to go find another she doesn't care anything about this young man. And that's so important. Don't think, son, that you are special or that anybody, that this woman is actually seeking you because she's not. Um, don't put your trust in her because it's a, it's a trap. She tells him, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. What's the problem there? Let's delight ourselves with love. Is it actually love? This woman doesn't know a thing about love. And if the, if the boy falls victim to this, then he doesn't either. But yet, if you look at this as not only the, the woman's temptation of the young man, but Satan's temptation to all of us. And she's trying to get this young man to shortcut intimacy. And in doing so, Satan uses God's words like love. Now again, this, this girl goes to church, or, this, or you could say the same thing about a young man, um, obviously knows God, or you would think that they do, know of him, she uses the word love. Well, what's wrong with that? This all sounds like good things, but it's a deception. And if you think about this woman hunting someone and the young man maybe looking for, um, for this sin also. What does that say about these people in their lives? What's wrong? What's that? Self-gratification. Self-gratification? Yeah. Um, Self-gratification maybe because there's a void. There's a void. And the woman and, and the young man are looking to fill a void in the wrong places with the wrong things uh, and at the wrong time. Um, and if you think back to instruction as, as a parent, how can we help 
teach our children to not do these things? Well, how do we help our children not have this void in their lives that they would go looking for something like this? How do we do that? Right. He's using this as an example of if you stay naive, if you stay simple-minded, these things can happen to you. Listen to my words. Take this wisdom. Yeah, great point. Listen to my wisdom, which is a generational wisdom from the wisest minds of all time, and yea, even from God himself. Um, don't fall victim to this. And instead, feel your heart. And we sing the song, fill my cup, Lord, fill it up, Lord. Fill your life and fill that void with the love of God and understanding that God loves you and that as a parent, I love you. Um, you know, in, in my work life, not my secular life, but in my, in my job that I do during the week, um, this comes up so often. Because there's so many people that we meet and hire and fire, and it always seems, it's like, well, that individual's daddy never told them they loved them. Or that, that young lady's mom and dad never told them they loved them. And later in life, there's a void, and they're seeking the, to fill this void, and it's a real problem. So fill our children with the Word of God. She says, my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. Took a bag of money with him in a full moon. He'll come home, so we're not going to get caught. We have nothing to worry about. And what we've learned about wisdom is wisdom means that there are consequences to, to actions, that our behaviors matter. And she's saying here that there will be no consequence to this sin. So we can know and have the discernment to know that that is foolishness. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her as an, as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. So... <coughs> smooth talk of a woman. And I counted four times that that idea is repeated from chapter 10 to 31 of Proverbs. The smooth speech of the adulterous woman and being careful to not be persuaded by her. And there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is death. Um, and this always reminds me of, of a slaughterhouse and on a kill floor and my work experience. Cows are just following each other just to follow each other. And when it comes time, and they don't see the kill floor, but when that kill, door, kill floor door opens up and they run in and the door shuts behind them, they know they're in trouble. But they didn't, know, they didn't think anything about it. They're just walking around. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're caught and it's too late. But we need to have the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding to know where this path is going to lead and know that folly is incredibly destructive and it's going to cost us our lives if we follow it. Um, thank you all for your comments this morning. I hope it wasn't too repetitive from last week. Uh, next week we'll, we'll pick up and cover uh, chapter 8, Lord willing, and continue on. Thank you all.